this morning. Matthew chapter 21. If you guys want to go ahead and take your seats. Matthew 21. Hey, let's pray and let's give this over to the Lord here this morning. Uh, Lord, we are thankful for the time of worship. We're thankful for the time of fellowship, the beautiful morning, uh, just an activity full of to this morning and just want to pray that you'd be with everything going on in the back, the Operation Christmas Child, the upcoming small groups, Thanksgiving potluck, uh, Christmas program practice going on in the back. Just, Lord, thank you for letting us come here today to learn of you, to grow of you, and we just pray we would learn. And Lord, whatever groups of Christians are meeting this morning here in the area, we just pray that you'd also bless them as well, too, in your name. Amen. Real quick, I just want to reiterate what uh, Renee mentioned in announcements. Small groups starting up in the next couple weeks. We have a staggered different start dates. I believe some are starting up uh, early next week, some of the following week. Six different locations uh, over in Holgate. Uh, James Travis is hosting over there with Pastor Renee teaching. Uh, Signet. Uh, Ray and Debbie Kaiser are hosting. I'll be teaching that one. Deschler, the Winsingers are hosting and teaching. Uh, my wife and I are doing one in our house. Uh, we'll be hosting and teaching. And over in Hamler, Rose is hosting one. And Matt, Christie, and Jason Phillips will take turns teaching that. And then over in Milton Center at Judith Scott's house, she's hosting with Pastor Rich teaching. So we're doing the book of Philippians. Uh, four chapters, and I tell you, if you've never got involved in small groups, I encourage you to do it. The vision from this comes from Acts chapter 20, where Paul said he went from house to house encouraging. So often on a Sunday, there's not that time to get a chance to really talk and pray and encourage. This is a study where you get a chance to talk a little bit more, you get a chance to know people a little bit better, ask questions, get involved, encourage you to do it, prayerfully consider getting involved in all of those uh, six small groups, and you'll be blessed by it. So, and don't forget, after 10 o'clock service today, back in the back, Operation Christmas Child. Absolutely love this ministry. You take the shoebox, you fill it up. Do you not only get a chance to bless a child with Christmas, you get a chance to bless them with the gospel message. Church takes care of all the shipping. Boxes are out there. We set out 100 boxes. It looks like they're almost all gone. We'll order some more. You can also use your own. They will talk about that at the meeting today, so I'm not going to say anything, because if I get it wrong, they will correct me right now. So... Back there in the back, you can take a look at that here after the uh, 10 o'clock service. But Matthew 21, Matthew 21, we are in the final week of Jesus' life before he goes to the cross. So what you see here in Matthew 21 on is the final week. Today is the triumphant entry. We call it Palm Sunday. So kind of keep this in the back of your mind. This would be the week before Resurrection Sunday. So this is the time where Jesus is saying, this is your chance. Are you going to accept me as Messiah or not? And then what happens is through the rest of this week, he uses the time for parables and teachings and showing that he is the Messiah and also condemning Israel for rejecting him. So keep this in the back of your mind. The final week of Christ's life, Palm Sunday here, one week before he goes to the cross. So Matthew 21, verse 1. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples. We'll stop there real quick. Two miles outside of town of Jerusalem. Keep that in the back of your mind. Two miles outside of Jerusalem. Verse 2. Saying to them, go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. Let's just get the main point of the lesson out right here, right now. This is what I want you to do this week. I want you to go into town. I want you to go into work. I want you to go into the store, wherever you're at. I want you to pick the one item you want, and I want you to do verse 3. 
the Lord has need of it, and just walk away with it and see what happens. That's kind of an amazing passage. These two disciples are told to go into this village. You're going to find this donkey tied up. Unloose him. Farmer's going to come out. What are you doing? Oh, the Lord has need of the donkey. Well, if that's the case, let's take it then. That's a lot of faith, and we'll get to that here in a little bit. But first off, Jesus is going to ride into town on a donkey. Now, the reason I told you this was two miles outside of town was to stop and let you know. Jesus is not saying, guys, I'm too tired. I can't finish the journey. He is stopping purposely to say, I want to ride a donkey into Jerusalem. A donkey. If you want a little bit of fun this afternoon, go home and Google grown man riding a donkey. It is not very majestic in any way whatsoever. When we think of majestic, we think of riding a horse. See, but back during Jewish times, especially during the book of Judges, it used to be a big deal to ride a donkey. Now, what happened was horses were introduced into Israel, so it kind of changed a little bit. Now it became more majestic to ride a horse. And from a Roman mindset, if you were the conquering king, you'd ride your horse in with the defeated general following you, thousands of your troops following you. Be majestic. Jesus chooses to ride a donkey in. Now, that's a fulfillment of prophecy, verse 5 from Zechariah chapter 9. But why would he choose a donkey? Well, it's already been told to us. Look at verse 5. Behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey. Jesus says, I'm setting the example of humbleness right here, right now. I'm the king. I'm your savior. I'm God. But I'm also your brother. I'm also your friend. Remember what we talked about last week when it came to service. Jesus saying, wash feet. He set the example of humbleness and servanthood. And so Jesus here, making his appearance, making his entrance as king, decides to do it on a donkey. Can you imagine being the Roman troops at the time? You see this huge event happening. There's millions of Jews in Jerusalem at this moment because it's Passover week. And you start seeing the celebration build up with the triumphant entry of Jesus. But should we do something? Why? There's no swords. There's no shields. There's no spears. It's just a 33-year-old man riding a donkey. I don't think we have anything to worry about. But that's how Christ decided to come in, humble, setting that example, prophecy-filled. Now, back to the disciples that were sent to go get the donkey. Can you imagine the amount of faith that would take to do that strange request? Go up and just take it and say, the Lord has need of it. Now, as I was preparing the lesson, I thought of the old hymn I sang growing up as a kid. Trust and obey, for there's no other way. Just trust and obey. God says, go do it. Go do it. One of the key passages in this whole study today is verse 6. So disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They did it. How often do we as believers think about doing it, talk about doing it, make a list to do it, make a plan to do it, but then we never do it. I don't know how many times I wake up in the morning. It's like, okay, Lord, here's the day you gave me, and this is what you've laid on my heart. I want to be the spiritual leader of my family. I want to be the spiritual leader of my wife. I want to do this, and as day and time goes on, where does the day go? You lay in bed at night. It's like, man, all the missed opportunities. I mean, I wanted to. I thought about it. I planned it. I even knew what I was going to read and study, but I didn't do it. Verse 6 is so vital. They did it. I just want to encourage you in obedience. If the Lord has laid something on your heart, do it. You will be blessed and you will go to bed tonight saying, Lord, I served you today as your creation. I did what you called me to do. 
Now, I find it interesting also, if you take a look here, verse 3. The Lord has need of them. Need. How often do we out here at church teach that God doesn't need you? But at one time here, he says, I need this. I'm choosing to enter this way. Prophecy fulfilled. We talked about that already. He could have brought the donkey to himself. This is God. This is God in the book of Jonah that ordained the big fish to come take care of Jonah. He could have said, hey guys, there's a donkey. I brought it to me. No, he says, I want you to be involved in this. I want to use you. Now, remember this summer, we did a little study on works. Not works that save you, not works that keep you saved, not works to make you prideful. But you have been changed eternally for Jesus, so now you go out and externally change the way you live to glorify Him. Works, fruit. Ephesians 2.10 says you have been created for good works. The Lord wants to use you. He wants to use you to go get the donkey to be blessed. He wants to use you to give up the donkey to be blessed. He chooses to. So when you get up in the morning and you leave your house, or as I should stop and say, even as you minister in your house to spouses, kids, roommates, what have you, the Lord says, I want to use you today. Sure, I could use the angels to spread the gospel. That's what's going to happen in the book of Revelation. But I want to use you today. I could supernaturally make food fall from heaven. That's what I did with manna. But I want to use you today to minister to people and meet the needs of people. What a blessing. God so bad wants to use us. And we try to spend all of our time and energy getting out of the way to never be used by him. And we miss the blessing of it. Just stop and say, Lord, how do you want to use me today? You don't need me, but how do you want to use me? And then walk in it and you'll be blessed. And as you give him your time, your energy and resources, guess what? You'll get it back. See, take a look at verse 3. The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. NIV and New Living Translations, your translations say something to the effect of, and he got it back, and you'll get it back. Can you imagine being the farmer that got the donkey back? You get the donkey that God chose to ride on. Think about that. You get back the donkey that the Lord chose to use to make his triumphant entry. It's been said many times in many ways, you can never outgive God. You can't. When you give up your time, your energy, and your resources, it will come back to you, and the Lord will bless you and take care of it. Don't ever worry about that. Oh, Lord, I'm so busy. Lord, there's not enough time. There's always enough time to serve the Lord. There's always enough time to put Him first in all you do and say. And what we see in these first six verses, we see Jesus fulfilling prophecy, setting us the example of humbleness and service. We see the disciples being willing to obey, and we see God saying, you'll be blessed. What happens next? Verse 7. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set them on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. So they lay their coats down out of respect and honor. They get the palm branches down. Why do they use palm branches? If you want to study this out a little bit, you can. In Revelation 7, palm branches will be waved up in heaven with worship. And you also see it being used in Leviticus. Part of the Feast of Tabernacles involved palm branches. And the actual temple itself, part of the decorations was palm branches. The Lord uses that as a picture of worship. And it's like we mentioned earlier, there's no danger to the Rome. Once again, no swords, no horses, no shields, no army. Just a grown man on a donkey. Nothing we need to worry about here, right? But here the people are catching this. They're seeing this. Hosanna. 
which means save now. That's what they're crying out. Jesus is coming in and they're yelling out, save us now. Save us from what? From Rome, from oppression, from government. They weren't looking for the Savior to save them from their sins. This is why one week later they can yell, crucify him. Because what happened is, they gave Jesus all the attention, everything you can imagine. Save us now. And what did Jesus do for the next week? According to them, nothing. He didn't get Rome off our backs. He didn't lead a revolution. He didn't set up a new government. And so therefore, we tried with you for one week, Jesus. It didn't work out. We're done. Do you realize that has not changed in 2,000 years? People have a moment with Jesus. Save me. Oh, man, I know Christ now. Everything's going to get better. I'm going to get health, wealth, and happiness right there, right now. They tried Jesus for a week. Yeah, it didn't work out. And they move on. See, the problem is we sometimes have a misunderstanding or misexpectation of what Jesus is to us. And I need to stop right now and ask, who is Jesus to you? See, Jesus wants to be primarily, number one, your Savior. Because there's a sin problem that has to be dealt with. And if that sin problem is not dealt with, there's the eternity and the reality of hell. So we need to know him as our Savior. So often people come into a quote-unquote relationship with Christ saying, what am I going to get out of it? My marriage is completely falling apart, so they said I need to go to church. I went to church. Oh, Lord, help me. Oh, I'm really behind on bills. I'm going to go to church. Lord, help me. Oh, I'm not doing well here physically. Lord, help me. And they want Jesus to step in and do all this to fix. So save me now. And Jesus says, yeah, I want to take care of the sin problem first. So Israel, I will be your king. Yeah, that will happen. It's the millennial reign. Book of Revelation. But for right here, right now, I need to be the Savior for your sins. The people didn't get that. They wanted their Savior from the government in Rome. Now, Jesus said, I need to take care of sin first. Make sure you understand who Jesus is supposed to be in your life. You will always walk away disappointed and upset if you have a misexpectation of Christ. You will. He's there to take care of your sins. And then you have this relationship with him. We need to make sure we present that to the world. Sin has to be dealt with, and that's why Christ came the first time to deal with it. Now, this town is really worked up about this. Verse 10, all the city was moved. Millions of extra people are here in Jerusalem. They're moved. That word moved is really interesting. It's the Greek word where we get our English word seismic, like an earthquake. They were so moved by Christ, it was like an earthquake was going on. This is the biggest Christian pep rally you can imagine. Everybody's pumped up, excited. Who is this? Verse 10, verse 11. This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. This is the one we're saying to save now. This is the one we're calling the son of David. This is the one we're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They know that they're quoting prophecy here. This is our Messiah. Now they are accountable. And what happens from verse 12 on... Jesus says, you acknowledge me as your king, you acknowledge me as your Messiah, you acknowledge me as the one the Lord sent. What are you going to do with this information? And this is what we see happening. Now, we've joked out here before that Jesus has the worst PR guy you could ever imagine. Because if Christ has the town right now, he has the city, millions of people in the palm of his hands, he should run with this, right? What does he do instead? Verse 12. Jesus went into the temple of God, drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple, and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. 
Boy, he really messed that up, didn't he? The town loves him. Jerusalem loves him. And the first thing he does, he goes into the temple and he kicks over all the tables. He kicks everybody out. Well, that's not the right thing to do. There's a little bit of background we need to know this. Can you go with me to Mark 11? Keep your, keep your spot here in Matthew 21. Go to Mark 11. Now, this is the second time Jesus cleansed the temple. If you remember back in John chapter 2, he did it at the beginning of his ministry. And now he does it at the end of his ministry. See, there's a lot of issues going on in the temple. A lot of issues. See, the temple was basically using people just to make a whole lot of money. Let's say you were coming into... You were coming into the temple and you wanted to sacrifice a lamb. So what would happen is you would show up at the temple. And it's been a long walk. It's been a a long journey for you and your family. So you didn't take one of your lambs. You came to the temple and the temple would say, Hey, we got lambs here for you to to buy. These lambs have already been inspected. They've passed inspection. They're amazing. Now, you could buy a lamb, let's say, outside for five bucks. If you go into the temple, they're going to sell it to you for 75 bucks. So you're going to go in there and say, $75? I don't have that to buy a lamb. I can get one outside for $5. So next time you come to the temple, since they're charging too much, you say, I'm going to bring my own lamb this time. So you bring your own lamb. As soon as you get to the temple, guess what's going to happen? They're going to meet you right there and say, oh, we need to inspect your lamb before we let you bring it in. And as they inspect your lamb, guess what they're going to say? Your lamb didn't pass inspection. So sorry. But don't worry. We actually have lambs here that we sell. They've already been inspected. They were making money this way. It's like when you go to Cedar Point and you pay 50 bucks for a bottle of water, you know? (laughs) They gotcha. They know that. So Jesus comes in and says, you guys are focusing on money, not the people. You get it all wrong. I shared with you, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, how much my boys love the McDonald's Playlands. Just love them. Absolutely love them. We went up to McDonald's Playland one time in uh, Michigan. So it was the middle of summer, so we went up there. The boys are excited. We go in. They go in and start playing in the Playland area. And as we're playing in the Playland area, you know, the boys are up there playing. A representative from McDonald's comes out to us and says, you know, we see your boys playing. Hey, I don't know if you knew or not, but the rule is um, you need to wear socks when you play at the McDonald's Playland. This is the middle of summer. All my boys are wearing sandals, etc. It's like, oh, we didn't know that. So we don't have any socks. They said, oh, don't worry. We sell socks. (laughs) We sell socks. Oh, great. You sell socks. How much? It's a buck fifty for one pair of socks. So it costs $7.50 for my boys to play. Uh, Dawn said we're packing up and going home. And we did. Because they got gotcha. you. You need socks. And we just happened to sell socks for $1.50 a pair. This is what the temple was doing. It wasn't about the things of the Lord. It was about making money. So Jesus comes in. And he judges the temple. Now, before this makes it sound like, because the way Matthew presents it, Jesus has the triumphant entry. Everybody is going crazy. And he just walks over to the temple and starts knocking things over. Look here in Mark 11. Mark 11. Let's start in verse 9. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in highest. We read that. Now look at verse 11. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and looked into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Jesus came back the next morning to cleanse the temple. He went and looked the night before, went home, I'm assuming, thought about it, prayed about it, came back the next morning. What can we learn from this? 
Jesus was not a man of emotions in the sense of he was not going to let the moment dictate how he responded. He was not going to, in the midst of that moment, fly off the handle, say things he shouldn't say, do things he shouldn't do. He was a man that was not going to do that. He went, investigated, looked at the temple, went home, came back the next day. Sometimes there's biblical wisdom in saying, I'm frustrated, I'm worked up, I'm upset. This is not the best time for this conversation. I'm going to go pray and seek the Lord, and I'll talk to you at a different time. Jesus set the example of that, and that's something we all need to learn. So he comes back, and he cleanses the temple. Knocks everything over. He clears them out. In fact, one gospel account says he actually stopped the sacrifices at the temple. Now think about this for a second. That's a big deal. Here are millions of people that are here for the Passover. And Jesus goes in there and the sacrifices actually stop for a brief moment. What do you think that's a picture of? Isn't that a picture of Jesus coming and saying, this old system of sacrifices is no longer needed. I'm going to be your sacrifice. We can stop this system right here, right now. It was a forerunner of what Christ was going to do. Because when he dies on the cross one week later, what happens? The veil is torn, right? So this is a picture of Jesus saying this system is going to stop. What are we supposed to be doing now then? Well, let's take a look at it. Verse 13 of Matthew 21. It is written, my house should be called a house of prayer, but you made it a den of thieves. First thing you see is Jesus says, we want prayer. Well, that's an easy one. We all pray. A lot of times when I talk to somebody and I kind of am concerned about how they're doing spiritually, and I'll go up to them and say, hey, how are things going spiritually? I hear this a lot. Well, I mean, I still pray. Because that's about the easiest thing to do, to be honest. A quick thank you before the meal. You know, when I get up in the morning, Lord, be with my wife, be with my kids, safety as I travel to and from. But when you really study out what prayer is in the Bible, prayer is is more than just treating God as some type of to-do list or genie in the sky. The reason he starts out with prayer is because prayer represents communication. It represents a relationship with the Lord. You're constantly talking to him. He's talking to you via the Holy Spirit. And so, therefore, there's this constant communication back and forth. So Jesus is saying, listen, I want my people, my house, to be a house where I am communing with people, talking with them, having a relationship with them, not just making money. Number two, what else are we supposed to be doing? Verse 14, the blind and the lame came to the temple. Jesus is saying, this is the way it's supposed to be. I want the blind to come, the people that are lost. I want the lame to come, the people that are hurting. And what happens when they come? Verse 14, they get healed. Jesus says, I want to spiritually heal you. But this is what we're supposed to be doing, church. You're going to leave this building today. I hope you've been encouraged. I hope you've been uplifted. I hope worship was a blessing. Fellowship, time of service. I hope the word. hope it all was. But what are you going to do when you leave? Because you're going to go to work. You're going to go to school. You're going to go home. You're going to go out to the store. You're going to run into people. And you're going to run into people that are blind. They are completely spiritually lost. And God is saying, I want to use you to represent me to them. You're going to run into people that are lame. They are hurting. They know the Lord. They may have a relationship with the Lord, but their marriage is hurting. Their health is hurting. Their kids are hurting. Their life is hurting. What are you going to do? Because we have the answers. We can help do the healing. We can spiritually help them. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. Jesus is saying, listen, it's not about making money at the temple. It's not about sacrifices at the temple. It's about a relationship with me, reaching the lost, helping the hurting, and spiritually then pointing them towards me. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And so every moment when we get up, every moment of our lives is, Lord, where are the lost I can speak to? Where are the blind? Where are the hurting and the lame that I can point towards your healing? 
That's what we're supposed to be doing. That was God's goal from the beginning. And when that happens, guess what happens? Worship. Take a look right here in verse 15. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Did you hear what these are saying? Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, and he lodged there. So these, these kids are going crazy for Christ. They're worshiping and they're praising Him. And the chief priests and scribes come over and say, Do you hear what they're doing? You're allowing them to worship you? And I love his answer in verse 16. Yes, I am. I'm the king. He goes, look, I, I'm fulfilling prophecies left and right. I came in on a donkey. Didn't you get that? That's Zechariah 9. Uh, my house should not be called a house of prayer, but a den of thieves. Yeah, that's Isaiah 56. And out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, yeah, that's Psalm 8. And fulfilling prophecies left and right. The blind are seeing, the lame are walking, people are getting healed, demons are being cast out. So yeah, this last week, I'm letting everybody know this is who I am. Yes, I hear them praising me and I'm going to take it. And that's basically what he's saying to the chief priests and the scribes. What are you going to do with this information, guys? Because I'm proving my case to you. What are you going to do? Please remember these chief priests and scribes in verse 15 and these Pharisees and Sadducees that we pick on all the time. Please remember these people deeply, deeply believed in God. They did. They deeply believed in the Old Testament. They did. This was not some type of false, fake, not believing in God. They believed in God. They did not have a relationship with the Son and that's what's starting to happen next week when we get into all the parables in 21 and 22. They did not have a relationship, but they believed in God. And I'm going to tell you right here, right now, the people you're going to minister to the most in your life are people that deeply believe in God, but do not have a relationship with Christ Jesus. And those are difficult people to talk to. In fact, I find it easier to talk to an atheist than it is to somebody who believes they are religiously okay. Because the atheist is willing to think ask questions, debate. But when you go up to somebody who deeply believes in God and you try to explain to them what a real relationship with Christ is, not just religion, uh, they, they already got the answers. And what's going through my mind is, oh man, Matthew 7. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord. And Jesus says, away from me, I never knew you. Or in James where it says, even Satan believes in God. I tell you, they're blind, they're lost. Lord, help us to reach them. Lord, through your Holy Spirit, help us to do that. But right here, right now, Jesus says, yeah, I hear them praising me. He goes, and I'll take it. I like that. Why do we praise the Lord? I think we get praise and worship wrong a lot of times. But you see a lot happening in the church today, and I don't mean here at Harvest, but just in the church in the world. You see people starting to worship worship. Just this idea of worship, the music aspect of it. And we got to remember, when these guys get up here to lead us in worship, their whole point is, hey, we just want to point people towards Jesus Christ. That, that's the goal of worship, is when we come in, we let go of what we're dealing with and our burdens. That's why the Bible calls it a sacrifice of praise. I'm sacrificing what? Thinking about me to focus on you. Now, at this time, somebody usually says, well, I don't have anything to worship about, nothing to praise them about. Well, let's go through that real quick. Why do you worship the Lord? You worship Him for what He has done. You worship Him for what He will do. And lastly, you worship Him for just being God. So you may come in and say, well, I want to worship Him for what He has done. Well, I've had the worst week ever. He hasn't done anything for me this week. Worship Him for what He will do. Well, He's not going to do anything in my life. 
then you worship him for being God. Can't get out of that one. He created you. He died for you. He's offered you eternal life. That's worthy of worship. That last worship song that we did this morning about you are God, so simple. You are God. So therefore, we are going to stop and just worship you. And I just want to encourage you in your personal time of worship and prayer. Those are the two words here that Jesus is bringing out. Number one, in your time of prayer. He says, my house should be called a house of prayer. I encourage you in your prayer life. And when I say that, I mean not just a prayer life of a to-do list, not just a Lord, please do this. I'm saying a deep, intense communication with him where you give him your needs, your wants, your desires, and you also listen and you pray. And you pray through worship. You pray through the Spirit. You pray through the Word. You pray with other people. I encourage you that number two time of praise praise if you're the person that has an awful job on your way to work listen to praise music to get your heart right if you have an awful day and you're going home listen to praise music to get your heart right don't take it on your kids or your spouse difficult times going on listen to praise music because praise is saying what quit thinking about you and think about me and it gets your focus back where it's supposed to be And once again, go back to verse 16. Do you hear what these are saying? Jesus said, yes. I hear it, and I like it. Because he gets the glory. So, put this all together now. Jesus has said, I'm fulfilling prophecies left and right. Coming in on the donkey, cleaning the house, the praise and worship. I've shown I'm God, healing the lame, healing the blind. Fulfilling healing, pointing people towards my Father. Israel, are you going to accept this or not? Verse 18, Now in the morning as he returned to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to and found nothing on it but leaves, and said to it, Let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither away so soon? So Jesus answered and said, Surely I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, And will not only do what is done to this fig tree, but also if you say this mountain be removed and cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. The fig tree is a picture of Israel. We know this from Jeremiah, Nahum, Hosea. It's a picture of Israel. So the fig tree is withered. Israel is rejecting the Messiah. They are spiritually withering up. And therefore, Jesus is saying, I'm rejecting you because you have rejected me. The fig tree is a picture of Israel rejecting the Lord. Now, it's also a picture of us. Because the Bible makes it clear, Old Testament through New Testament, we're a plant planted by the Lord. I think back to uh, Psalm 1, where it says that we're supposed to be like a tree planted by the waters of the Lord, being fruitful, not withering. So, what did this tree do wrong? There's no fruit on it. Okay, we got that. No figs. But what did it have? It had a whole lot of leaves on it. Verse 19, he's seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves. You know what that is? That's false advertisement. Jesus is from a distance. If you look at this fig tree, it looks great. I envision it being covered in leaves. And as you get closer, you realize there's no figs. False advertisement. What is that spiritually? That means we sure look good Sunday morning. You know how easy it is to fake being a Christian? It's probably, if I, if I am careful what I say here, don't take this the wrong way. If you would take all the world's religions, Christianity is probably the easiest one to fake. You just have to look good on a Sunday morning. I think it was Charles Spurgeon that said a broken clock tells the right time two times a day. And we just have to look good once a week for maybe an hour, hour and a half. 
And if you really want to look good, come on Wednesday nights. You just got to look good for like two and a half hours a week. That's all you got to do. Your leaves look good. And this is what Jesus is saying. This is false advertisement. Come on, people. We do this. We come in on a Sunday. We sound good. Smile on our face. No one knows that we were just having a yelling match with our kids out in the car. I mean, one of the most honest couples I've ever met. Absolutely loved them. Did marriage counseling with them extensively. And I can remember them saying, you don't know how many times, Pastor, we've turned into the parking lot, got into a fight, and just turned and went right back out. Why does the enemy do that? Because he knows this is a place that can help. Satan does not keep you from McDonald's. He does not keep you from Walmart. He keeps you from church. He keeps you from fellowship. He does not keep you from your TV and your remote and your computer and your internet. He keeps you from your Bible study and prayer. It's just the facts. He does. And he'll do everything he can to make it difficult to get up on a Sunday morning. I say this all the time. If you want to know if you're going to go to church on a Sunday morning, you decide Saturday night. Because if you're going to get up Sunday morning and decide, you're probably not going to go. And it's not about church attendance. I'm just using this example. It's about saying the leaves look good, but is there fruit? We can come in on Sunday and fake it. How is the actual fruit of your life? Can you go with me to John 15, please? John 15. There's this ongoing theme throughout the New Testament where it says the Lord desires fruit. The fig tree had no fruit. False advertising, it looked good, no fruit. Jesus desires fruit. John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Do you not see the theme already here? He goes, listen, you are a tree that has been planted, and you're planted and watered by the Holy Spirit, by the Word of God, by fellowship, by service, by ministry. You're planted in this. I don't want you to wither away. I want you to stay strong. I don't want the fake leaves. I don't want the false advertising. I don't want the fake fruit. I want fruit, and I want fruit because I know it's good for you. Remember Ephesians 2.10, we said at the beginning of the lesson, God has created you for good works. Not to save you, not to keep you saved, not to make you prideful, but he says, I want to use you. Use you. Use you. Why? To glorify me. Look at verse 3. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the fine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Unless you're hooked in with Christ, there will not be fruit in your life. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Now here's the problem. Once again, false advertising. I know a lot of people that they look good. But when you really get into their lives, where's the fruit? I know in the 23 years I've been walking with the Lord, there's been seasons where I probably looked pretty good. But where's the fruit? This is not something to condemn or not to attack, but it's to say, I want to be what the Lord has called me to be. Haven't we lived enough of our lives trying to be what we want to be? Isn't it time just to stop and say, Lord, I've been created by you for you. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is, there's our word, withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask for what you desire and shall be done for you. Verse 8 is the key. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will also be my disciples. We spend a lot of our time and energy in life trying to glorify us. We spend so much time and energy trying to make us look good and present to the world 
the way we want to be seen. Jesus just said, I'll be a 33-year-old man riding a donkey. Because I'm just here to represent humbleness. Gosh, we just need to sometimes let go and say, Lord, I'm tired of trying to make myself look good. I just want to serve you. I want to bear fruit for you because that's where the true joy and peace will come. I don't want to wither. I want to be you, Lord. This all comes now to a head. And verbally, verses 23 through 27 is a transitional passage. Because what you see in verses 1 through 22 is Jesus making his last case, if you will. I'm the Messiah. You're rejecting me. You're spiritually withering. And then verses 28 on, he's saying, okay, since you've rejected me, we're going to get serious now. What's the final straw? Verse 23. Now, when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? Please note in Matthew 21, 23, he's teaching. I just envision them barging in. Who gives you the right to do this? Who gives you the right to say you're the fulfillment of Zechariah? Who gives you the right to cleanse the temple? He gives you the right to accept praise. Who gives you the right to say we're the nation that's going to wither? By what authority? Verse 24. Jesus answered and said to him, I also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority do these things. The baptism of John. Where was it from? From heaven or from men? Jesus said, I'll answer your question by asking you a question. That's not him dodging the question. That's him having a profound question to go deeper. Do we do this a lot in life? Somebody comes up to you and says, Hey, do you have a moment? Question. We respond with the question, What do you need? Question. We know not to commit. Jesus is saying, You have a question for me? I have a question for you. You want to know my authority? Answer this. Baptism of John. From heaven or from men? Verse 25. And they reason among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he'll say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Very simply put, Jesus says, Who was John to you? If they say John was a prophet of God, then he says, Then why do you not believe him? Because he prophesied to me. But if you reject John... How are you going to reject all that evidence? How are you going to reject what John did? How are you going to reject what I did? Jesus is saying, I want you to answer this and think. But look at their response. We do not know, verse 27. Do you realize 2,000 years later, that's the response of the world? You sit down, you talk to them, and you have a really open conversation with them, and next thing you know, you're getting into this eternal truth of heaven and hell and sin and the reality of death. And you explain to them Christ, and you tell them the truth of the Bible, and you know they're hearing it. And then you say, do you want this? And the response is, I don't know. See, we say this a lot. No answer, no commitment is really an answer and a commitment. To say, I don't know, is to really reject what the Lord is doing. See, now in the world we live today, if if somebody comes up and says, I don't know... We applaud them for being a deep thinker and not just accepting the fairy tale tradition of man or what have you. When really, what does Proverbs say? The fool says in his heart there is no God. But by saying, I don't know, I don't know if I believe all this yet, what we're really doing is pushing the Lord off to the side. And we're making a choice by not making a choice. I see this a lot with our house. I remember one time specifically with our middle child, Kenan. You know, we got the five boys there in Kenan. God bless Kenan. He's trying to figure out where he goes, the classic middle child. Is he the big buddy 
Or is he still with the little two? So Kenan spends a lot of his time in life trying to figure out and analyze what's the best choice to make in life. Because it's a big deal to him on where he ends up in life. And so one time we got out at the ice cream, and Dawn said everybody can have ice cream. And so we got the ice cream out, got the toppings out, and everything's across the table. Everybody comes in for ice cream except for Kenan. Kenan, we're doing ice cream. I know. Do you want ice cream? He goes, I don't, I don't know if I want ice cream right now. Well, we're offering ice cream right now, Kenan. This is, this is how we do it. You have to know how Dawn works. Dawn's going to get the kitchen dirty once, and then she's going to clean it up. We're not going to do this whole afternoon of ice cream. We're not going to do it. So the ice cream's out. Kenan's still thinking. He's still deciding. He hasn't made a choice yet. Well, guess what happens? We eat ice cream. We put the ice cream away. Then guess who comes in the kitchen? Kenan. Where's the ice cream? We put it away. Well, I hadn't figured out yet if I wanted any. Boy, Kenan, haven't you realized with your mom, you better move when she says move, buddy. That's just how it works. How many people are just still thinking about Jesus? That's why the Lord says, today is the day of salvation. Because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed tonight. You're not guaranteed this evening. And this is where we have to remember the fig tree withers. Why? Because it looked good. It sounded good. But there was no fruit. I just ask you right here, right now, who is Jesus to you? Look at all the evidence he gave here. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the high priests, the scribes, they had to decide, who is Jesus to us? See, God brings people and situations into your life to hold you accountable. And Jesus is saying, listen, I fulfilled three prophecies right here in Matthew 21 alone. You're accountable for this. You that came here this morning... You're now accountable for the words that were given to you. And what are you going to do with that? First off, who is Jesus to? Do you know him personally? We'll start with that. Number two, are you the fig tree that sure looks good, but has no fruit? Are you starting to wither spiritually? I hope and pray no. I hope you're planted by the water. I hope you're growing. I hope things are going deeper. But the truth is we have to sometimes have to stop ourselves and ask, am I where I'm supposed to be? I'm going to finish with this. It's Psalm 1. You don't need to turn there, but I've made numerous references to it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And here's the key. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaves also shall not wither. There's our word again. And whatever he does shall prosper. That's what God says. He says, plant yourself by me. What I want to do is this, and before I call up the worship team, real quick reminder. We have numerous sign-up sheets back there to the right. I don't care what you sign up for, but you've got to sign up for something. So, you know what, pick one of the three. I don't know. Prayerfully consider getting involved with small groups. It's a wonderful blessing. Like I said, we have six different locations. And if people want to get involved with them, we'll have a location there. If not, we'll just hold off to the next time. So prayerfully consider getting involved with that. Number two, the Thanksgiving potluck. It's a wonderful time of food and fellowship. I encourage you with that. And Christmas praise night coming up too. Don't forget Operation Christmas Child back in the back immediately following the 10 o'clock service. But what I want to do is this. I just really feel led to say, let's just have a time of prayer. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to be sitting right over here to the right. And um, I'm going to be sitting over here to the right. And Lynette, is Lynette in here, Lynette Taylor? You're here. Lynette can come up and she can be with me up here. So that way we got the guy and the gals. So that way the gals can pray with the gals and the guys can pray with the guys. I'm going to be over here. I really feel this morning, and I don't mean this judgmentally and I'm not attacking, 
I just really want you to ask yourselves, are you withering? Are you the fake leaves? I'm really asking that. I'm asking that because I love you. And I just want you to be everything you can be in Christ and to be completely honest. As a body of Christ, the church in the world today, man, we fake it a lot. We really do. Today's the day to say, I don't want that anymore. I want to be everything the Lord has in store for me. So if Lynette can, Lynette and I will be up here to pray. And during the final song, pop on over to pray. And if you're afraid of what people are thinking, well, I'm going over there to pray. They're going to think I'm the withering fig tree. Who cares what they think? We're just here to pray with you. And if you want to wait till after the song's done, feel free to do that. So I won't be in the back to shake your hands, but have a blessed week. I'm glad you can make it. And I just really want you to say during this final song, Lord, are you number one in all I do and say? Come over for prayer. And I don't need to know the details. You may just say I'm withering. Hey, I just want to pray for you. So, Lynette, if you want to come up and pray with me over here, I'd appreciate that. And uh, worship team will come forward for the final song. And Daniel, are you closing us out? Daniel, if you don't mind, close us out with a word of prayer then, okay?